I want to read to you this scripture of passage, or this passage of scripture. Kind of got that backwards. Um, this is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, say the Lord needs it. And those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the coat, colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down from the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. When King David was old and his days were numbered, and he didn't want to see his sons killing each other to see who was going to take over, he decided to appoint, uh, to, to make the decision himself of who was going to be the next king. And so he appointed his son Solomon to be king. And to make sure everyone knew that, he got together with uh, the high priest, with uh, Nathan the prophet, and with the captain of his army, and they put together a, a plan for everyone to be able to see and participate in Solomon's anointing and, and coronation as the new king. And so it was the city of Gihon, and um, they put Solomon on the back of a mule, and he rode into the city on the back of a mule with people all around him shouting and uh, screaming, Long live King Solomon, as they processed into the city. And once he got into the city, the priest anointed him with oil, and his reign as king began. And so that's how it was a long time ago when they anointed the son of David as their new king. Now on the, the day, the scripture that we uh, just read, uh, the city is Jerusalem. There were actually two processions that occurred during that week. We know that five or six days before the Passover, that Pilate came to Jerusalem because he wanted to be in the city during this high holy day to make sure that things didn't get out of hand. So he brought some extra troops with him and he came into the city. And we know that he processed into the city from the west. And he came draped in the gaudy glory of imperial power. Horses and chariots and gleaming armor. He was surrounded by Roman soldiers. And he came through the west gate and into the city. From the east came a carpenter turned rabbi in an ordinary robe riding on the back of a donkey with people hailing him as, as uh, David's son, he, as the new king, uh, as he comes walking or he comes riding in on this donkey with all these people surrounding him. 
And these two processions both happened. Most people believe they happened within a couple of days of each other. They could have possibly happened on the same day. They could have possibly happened at the same time. Imagine that. Pilate and his procession from the east and Jesus and his, or Pilate's from the west and Jesus and his from the east. And so uh, when, when Jesus processed into the city on the back of that donkey, a lot of people remembered that story of Solomon. They thought the same thing was going to happen. That Jesus was going to ride that donkey into the city and that the priests were going to come out and they were going to anoint him as the king and as Messiah and then his rule would begin. And that's why some of the people were so ecstatic and shouting all kinds of things because they believed this was what was going to happen. They believed that um, it was going to be another son of David who was riding into town to begin his rule. And I imagine that if you and I had been there, we would have probably thought the same thing. So against the background of Pilate's procession into the city, the contrast could not be any greater. The goals, the values, the power of these two kingdoms were about to collide. And Stephen Shoemaker put it this way. He said, we have a clash of kingdoms, Caesar or Christ. Caesar's kingdom is based on domination and ruthless power. The kind of kingship Jesus refused when he was tempted in the desert. The kingdom of God that Jesus preached is based on justice and mercy and the love of God. And so we have our choice, Pax Christi or Pax Romana. We get to decide. And we have to continue to decide to decide if our commitment to Christ transcends our everyday political loyalties. And so here in Luke's gospel, there are no palm branches. People just place their, their cloaks and coats on the ground as Jesus rides by on the donkey. And it wasn't just the 12 disciples, but it was a large crowd of people who had gathered and were cheering him on. There are even some Pharisees in that mix who were shouting and laying garments in front of him. You know, we have this tendency to group people all together, you know. We say, uh, whatever group of people, they're all like this, but no group of people is ever all like anything. We're all different. We have different opinions. And, you know, we tend to, to group the Pharisees together and say, well, the Pharisees were all like this. Well, but they weren't. Some of them were instrumental in seeing Jesus crucified. Some of them followed Jesus. And so some of the Pharisees were in this crowd. And they were there as Jesus comes into the city and everyone was shouting and they were, they were shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so then people in the city heard all this ruckus going on and so they rushed out to see what was happening. And some of them joined in the procession. Some of the Pharisees even joined in. And they were shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The king. They were shouting, blessed is the king. They were fully believed Jesus was about to get to the center of the city and be anointed as the new king and the new Messiah and overthrow the Romans. They were excited. Clarence Jordan in the Cotton Patch version of the Gospels translates that phrase, hail to the chief. <laughs> and that's exactly right. That's what they were thinking. 
He's going to get in the city. He's going to be anointed and everything is going to change. And it was this great triumphal entry for them. And they, they were singing, peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Sounds sort of like what the angels were singing at Jesus' birth from the heavens down to the earth. And now at Jesus rides into Jerusalem, they're singing from the earth to the heavens. And some of the Pharisees made their way up to Jesus, uh, walking beside the donkey and talking to Jesus. And they, they, they said, teacher, you need to rebuke your disciples. And we don't really know their motive. Uh, it could have been that they genuinely cared about Jesus and were worried. And they were saying, Jesus, you need to shut this down before the Romans hear this because they're going to come over here. And if they come over here, they're going to arrest you and you're going to be done for. So, so they may have been, you know, they warned him when Pilate was, they warned him when Herod was after him. So that it may have been, that may have been the reason for them telling him. Or it may have been a selfish motive. They may have been saying, Jesus, you need to shut this down because if the Romans come over here, they're going to come down on all of us. So you need to stop. Or they may have genuinely been offended. And then I said, Jesus, who do you think you are? You're no king. Don't let these people say all these things about you. It's not true. So stop it. Stop it now before we all get into trouble. Who knows exactly why they told Jesus to stop, but they did. And when they told Jesus to tell everybody to be quiet and disperse the crowd, Jesus replied, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. What an odd thing to say. I, I think they add a really interesting element to this story of the triumphal entry. Uh, you know, Luke is the only one that records these words. And you know, in the past, when I read them, I, I thought that Jesus was saying, if the people didn't praise him, then the stones would praise him. But the more I read in the Old Testament and compared to this, the more I, I start to think that maybe it was something else that Jesus was saying to them. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 are these words, Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin, you have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. In other words, Habakkuk was telling some folks who had gotten rich by ripping off other people that the beautiful homes they were living in were going to shout out against them in judgment for what they had done that the very stones in the walls of their houses was going to shout against them, that the beams in the rafters were going to shout out against them because of all of the people that they had taken advantage of to live where they were living. Kind of gives new meaning to the phrase, if walls could talk, doesn't it? So in the Hebrew Bible, lifeless objects accuse people. The blood of Abel shouts from the ground and accuses Cain. The fields in Job shout out. In Habakkuk, it's stones and rafters that shout out in judgment. So when Jesus said, if they keep quiet, the stones will shout out. 
I don't think he meant the stones will shout out in praise. I think he meant the stones will shout out to the people and accuse them of not knowing who was in their midst, of not knowing who it was riding on this donkey. If Jesus had ridden in and there were just crickets, just silence, then he said the very stones would shout and say, don't you realize who this is? Don't you know who's coming in here? Don't you get it? And as it turns out, you know, Jesus wasn't the kind of king they were expecting. They wanted a king who would be a conqueror, who would free them from everybody else. Instead, they got a king who was interested in saving them from themselves. They wanted a king who would do their will. Instead, they got one who was interested in doing God's will. They wanted one who would be king of their nation and of their city and Instead, they got one who was king of every nation and of every city. He has no favorites. He would not conquer by killing others. He would conquer by dying. And he would not rule from a throne, but he would rule instead from a cross. Not the kind of king they were expecting. On the day Jesus died, they didn't understand what was happening. They didn't recognize who he was. And they stood silent. The ones who were still there, mostly the women, stood silent at the foot of the cross. And when they all stood silent and refused to say anything, do you remember what happened? The sky grew dark. It was the sky shouting, don't you see what he's doing for you? And then the veil in the temple ripped itself in two from the top to the bottom. It was the veil shouting, don't you people get it? Don't you see what he's done? Matthew said there was an earthquake. And all creation, his way of shouting and saying, don't you see what's happening? Don't you get it? And then there was a large stone in front of the tomb that rolled itself away. It was the stone's way of shouting, he's not here. Don't you guys get it? Don't you see who he is? Don't you see what he's done? I mean, does creation and the trees and the stones recognize God quicker than we do? Maybe we had better quit saying dumb as a rock. <laughs> they may be way ahead of us. You know, I've almost heard it myself. Lying on my back in the grass and looking up at a beautiful sky and the wind whistling through the trees and the branches knocking together. I could almost hear them say, why are you lying there? <laughs> Get up and praise God. Give him thanks for your life. You're alive today, it's a gift. Don't you realize it? I stood knee-deep in a cold mountain stream and listened to the water gurgle and bubble as it went by. And I could almost hear it say, don't you realize where you are? Don't you realize that the God who created all of this loves you and wants to be engaged in your life? I wonder how many Sundays 
we come to church. And honestly, our highest expectations are that the music be decent and the preacher not say anything political. (laughs) And we drive in the parking lot and those oak trees out there are saying, don't you get who you're going to worship? Don't you see it? And the gravel cries out and says, don't you know who's there? The God who created everything is present here with you and you can worship him. It's all around us. And we come this morning to worship the God who created everything. We come this morning to worship a God who loves us, who would sacrifice for us, a God who would endure pain and death for us, the God who wants to be involved in our lives. So this morning, let's be aware of that. Let's know that. Let's know that God is here, present with us. That God loves us. And that the God who created everything that exists wants to be engaged in our lives. Let's not have to be reminded by the trees and stones. Let's come here knowing what we have come to do and knowing who we have come to worship. Amen.